This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents, presents 40K Stat Center with your host, Val Heffelfinger, Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. We wax words and whine about wearing white when we bring you coverage of the Labor Day GT. In Kansas, pigs may not fly, but apparently monkeys can. It's some super late coverage of the Flying Monkey GT. And then we talk TTS with the tactical tortoise himself, Trevor Atridge. And finally, we round it all out with some quick hitters covering the Invasion GT, Varberg GT, and whatever those wacky Irish were up to at Indomitus Rising. Hey, Steve. What show is this? This is 40K Stat Center. Oh, yeah. It's like riding a bicycle, I think, is what they say, because that was a super tight intro, my friend, Peter the Falcon. It was possibly the tightest intro we've ever done. That was good. I'll have a finger. 100% my actual name. Are you happy to be back on this show, our show, if you will? I mean, the fact that we're semi-annual now does make it a little easier on me to, um, you know, live my own life and do my own things, but I do miss, you know, the classics. And what a classic we've got lined up for you guys today. I'll tell you, we've got a little bit of, we got a little bit of uh, distance to catch up though, Pete. Yeah. I mean, it's been about five weeks since we've been able to put out an episode, you know, what with technological issues, family issues, just life issues in general. Um, we've been having a hard time getting together and punch one of these out, but hopefully mm. that'll change week to week as as we kind of push forward and little Valfredo Jr. gets his naps in. And I don't know, I start actually putting a little effort into this podcast. Well, I wouldn't blame you. I mean, one thing's for sure. When you're picking your audio editing software, maybe don't choose the one called Hindenburg. You know. Did probably a poor decision. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just pretty reliable up until uh, two weeks ago. The truth is, folks, we have probably once or twice per week in the last somehow month attempted with with really pure intentions to make a show for you. And finally, we are recording one for your earballs tonight. And I think it's going to be a real dill of a pickle. Before we get over mm-hmm. to that, um, what's been going on with you? Anything? Anything interesting? Any hobby progress? Hobby progress. I mean, I've done a lot of priming of models. I probably have, oh. a, you know, a whole front seat in my van devoted to custodies right now. On the off chance that I do get to go to this team tournament that's happening in Edmonton, Alberta, in about two months. Oh yeah. Um. So pretty excited about that. Getting models on the table for the first time in pretty much forever. Other than that, I've just kind of been living the dream, making entire states angry at me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you know, just trying to. Trying to, you know, live my best life during coronavirus. You know, it's interesting to me for a state that that has a slogan which is "Don't mess with Texas." Uh, it seems to be really easy to mess with Texas. I, I it's just something that's hey, occurred to me recently. Hey now, hey now. But, Listen, it look, was not intentional. I know, but anyway, it's fine. Um, Team Texas, number one in our hearts. It's all good, guys. All right. So, uh, inflammatory comments. I'm sure somehow aside. Uh, normally, uh, this is about where we, uh, we hype up some of the other podcasts on the network 
before I, we do that, though, pardon me, I just wanted to shout out something here. For a long time, there was like one or two Euro podcasts, and they bothered me a lot because there were, uh, they, they were people who I really enjoyed, but also were, generally speaking, recorded from the trunk of someone's moving vehicle. Mm-hmm, yep. And in just the last couple of months, there have been uh, there have been three at least uh, quite quality podcasts that have appeared on the scene, and I wanted to call them out because they are from our European friends, and um, you know, in the spirit of making them stop complaining that uh, we only talk about North Americans, wanted to shout out Contact Lost, which is a podcast focused entirely on the Polish scene, which is pretty cool. That's amazing because. Um... Over here, it, it, we, you never hear about it. We don't know what's going on over there. It's just all mystique until the WTC comes around and then they, you know, wreck half our faces. Oh, yeah. Um, so being able to actually, you know, listen to people talk up the Polish meta, uh, what their teams are doing over there, it's, it's a real treat. And they uh, initially had reached out to us to do some coverage of a team tournament that they had. Um, that was back in episode two of what's called Contact Lost. So that's the name of this podcast. Poland is a perennial powerhouse of the WTC. They always field an incredibly competitive team. They've won it, uh, and they tend to podium. So they it is definitely a, a place where uh, good players and uh, list concepts can come from. The next one is... The WTC Squadcast. Hosted by our, our good friend, Neil Kerr. Also a recent dad entering into the uh, the podcast land. WTC yeah. Squadcast is an effort to actually bring some um, names and faces to the the, uh, the leaders and the people uh, heavily involved in the, in the WTC scene and that tournament circuit. Yeah, and I mean, the European tournament circuit in general, they, they recently did some pretty hefty coverage of the Invasion GT um, that happened in Norway. Great. Um, which you know, we we haven't bothered to do anything about, even though they're pretty cool cats. We did uh, cover their uh, event last year when mm -hmm. it happened. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like it's it's quite, it's a good listen. Neil is as dry as ever, but he's getting better, mm -hmm. um, as one would expect from the probably best judge in the entire world. Yep, second most famous judge, of course, after Salty John. Yep, second most famous. Um, and the Latin Gandalf, I would, I would say they're about tied. It's been a long time since Pablo's updated his, uh, his 40K judge power rankings, although <laughs> uh, Neil does call himself a ref, if I'm not mistaken. So, That's true. So he That's is true. perhaps the most famous 40K referee. Finally, rounding it all out is the Norn Iron 40K podcast. We're going to hear a little bit from some of the people involved in that later on in the show in the quick hitters section. But they are from uh, what I assume is Northern Ireland? I mean, I would put it somewhere in that Belfast area, yep. Yep, so uh, there you go. Uh, three awesome uh, podcast options for you. What about people on our own network? We still got the normal stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, this uh, just this week we've had uh, Pablo do a pretty cool episode on why he feels that Combat Patrol or Kill Team may be the future of competitive 40K. Um, the guys over in Art of, Art of War did a whole episode devoted to Nick Nonavati's Harlequin list uh, with special guest host Adam Camilleri. Really this, just there to keep Nick under control because the man's an absolute madman. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Signals, they kept doing their thing where they shilled everything that uh, GW has to offer. Specifically, though, they were talking about Necrons today, I believe. Yeah, Necrons today and um, I believe just Codexes in general mm -hmm. last week. So really good listen. I mean, recent Frankie... Always popping it out. And uh, on the Art of War Down Under, which we don't talk a lot about on this show, well, uh, yeah. Mitch Pelham was on to talk about Space Wolves, the, the hairiest of men to talk about the hairiest of factions. 
Indeed. He's like those uh, those owners who start to look like their pets, except uh, he looks a bit like his favorite faction. Very much. Uh, I think that rounds us out. Uh, we do this weird thing where we plug things before we even start. So why don't we start this puppy and swing on over to a bump? Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features. Available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. Well, all right. Why don't we swing on over to the YHB Labor Day GT? Hey, what was that all about? Where was this? So YHP was a 37-player GT that took place in Fredericksburg, West Virginia. Um, we've covered a few events uh, from Fredericksburg from this uh, particular shop um, in the past. It's generally quite the little murderer's row of players that attend. Um, oftentimes you'll see uh, most of uh, Team Battle Brothers uh, come out, Stephen Four, mm -hmm. Austin Wingfield, guys like that, um, on top of uh, you know just a lot of that kind of East Coast uh, power gamer area. Um, and this, this event was no different. Usually the Labor Day GT is the kind of uh, prequel to the Nova Open. It's the it's the weekend before, right. and a lot of players will use it as kind of a, a testing ground for their lists going into Nova. Of course, this year due to COVID, Nova didn't actually occur. Um, so I think we actually got to see it an even uh, more intense event than we normally would have. I know you've got a nice long interview uh, with the uh, with the runner up. Uh, however, uh, we didn't get the winner, so why don't we uh, why don't we talk about it? Because it's a it's a topic close to your heart, uh, custodies. It definitely is. So, I've been kind of on a train since um, the earliest results came out from ninth uh, that custodies were in a place similar to Imperial Knights were in eighth edition, where yes, they can win a GT, they could pull off uh, some pretty good major results, but they are frequently hitting a barrier early on in, in their tournaments. Um, if you look at their stats, they have a 1.8 average first round loss. Um, and you know, like 90% of their, their, um, their entrants are losing in that first or second round before often going, uh, four and one. Um, and so I was really surprised to see Stephen Henry IV uh, come out on top at the Labor Day GT because, like I said, there was an absolute murderer's row of people at this uh, at this event. Yep. Um, and Stephen ended up playing five uh, previous major and GT winners oh, wow. um, on, on his way to the top. And this is a fellow that, I mean, someone may have heard of him before, but usually like I recognize any of the names that, uh, that I'll see in top fours, and Stephen isn't one that, that I actually can recall. Um, he beat Michael Agner, um, a prolific Tau player who we spoke to last year when he won a, a major. Mm -hmm. um, he defeated Shane Watts, who we're going to have on the show uh, soon, uh, sooner rather than later, uh, You know, pre uh, who has won previous GTs, top four major events in the past. Um, he also beat Austin Wingfield, Jonas wow. Beardsley. Like, um, he went through the ringer to get where he got. Um, and his list is very interesting from a custodian's perspective. And at this time, about a year ago, there was a bandanaed karate kid-looking MFer named John Lennon piloting two massive Forge World models. We'd just come through the Caladius Grav Tank meta, 
And this kind of brings some of those elements back together again one year later. What is what is so special about this list? So coming into ninth edition, there's been a lot of talk for custodians about how they're very much a foot list. Um, a lot of and and I've been one of them talking up Alaris custodians, talking mm-hmm. up um, uh, Aqualons, Venatari. And um, what we've actually been seeing are the most successful lists, the ones that are getting closest to victory, are um, kind of going more of a gunline perspective. Um, and this list, Stephen went all in on gunline. He's running three Caladius grab tanks, yep. um, which had kind of started to see a downward trend, and an Ares gunship, um, that $550, 430-point monster of a flyer. Uh-huh. Um, See, I thought this was the same as what they were running last year, but this is actually a different thing. This is. The Orion kind of got a big point increase on top of some other things that made it, I wouldn't say unplayable, but not as um, not as great as the Ares. Um, myself and a lot of uh, other uh, analysts didn't think the Ares was going to cut it in this edition, but as we've seen, a lot of lists, particularly in a marine meta, um, are running, you know, Impulsors, Rhinos, they're running these smaller vehicles, uh, Land Speeder Storms, that have uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten wounds tops. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that the Ares gunship is extremely good at blowing up are these like lightly wounded vehicles because almost every shot it has is uh, either you know six plus D6 wounds or three plus D3 wounds. Um, and with the consistency that Custodes put out in their shooting, um, it's blowing up at least one or two vehicles a turn. Um, so if it goes into the right, um, if it goes into the right lists, it does actually get to do some work, something that I wasn't quite sure it was going to be capable of doing. And one thing that, uh, myself and a lot of people keep forgetting is it drops a really incredible bomb twice a game that can do up to 20 mortal wounds. What? So yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, it's, cool, uh, it's cool, pretty cool. excessive. It does a lot of it does a lot of damage against the right targets, um, which we'll see when we talk to Shane in a minute, mm-hmm. um, because he, Shane was running horde orcs, and uh, I didn't expect an Ares to be able to do that much to him, and I'm wrong. Um, but anyway, this is a very shooty list. Um, in talking to people that attended the event, because we weren't able to get a hold of Stephen himself, mm-hmm. um, it was mentioned that a a big part of his wins came from the fact that he did get to go first in every game. That helps. And this list. This list is so aggressive and like the majority of its firepower is so um, mobile yeah. that if you do get to go first on the right tables, um, you're generally going to to cripple your opponent immediately. You can't hide from the Ares. Caladius uh, grav tanks, they're moving uh, 12, 14 inches and popping out all these shots. Um, and then Aqualons into a horde meta, if, the, if you are going into hordes, they can dish out 32 shots in a turn with the stratagem. So, like, this list is very much a hit-you-hard, hit-you-heavy, um, and it can take a little bit of the clap back. So if getting to go first every game, big, big bonus for this list. Um, one other thing to note, he does take uh, Sisters of Silence, two units of Prosecutors. Um, I was really down on Sisters of Silence because they didn't do a whole lot. Um, but we're seeing a lot of lists actually running five to ten of them, usually with a Rhino, um, because people have to ignore them with everything else in the custodians list being right. so scary. They, they're now, you know, this uh, three plus armor save uh, squad that can hide in a ruin, could grab an objective, plant a banner, you know, do all sorts of crazy things. And they're generally ignored for the majority of the game. And they can pop off, uh, you know, a very small, like one or two man remaining of a unit or get in the backfield of like an Imperial guard uh, squad and, and take them down. 
So they definitely have their uses. I'm very impressed with the list. I'm hoping to see more like really good uh, custodies results where yeah. we get some more five and O's. Um, but it's a start. Okay. Well, now that you're done waxing poetic about the golden boys that are riding shotgun with you every day, that's how much you love them. They ride shotgun with you. They do. They're, they're currently in the front seat of my van right now. All right. So why don't we uh, get you over to, uh, to Mr. Watts, Shane. I believe you have a nice long interview with him about his experiences and his horde orcs, which are not supposed to work. Uh, love to hear how this goes. An interview with the man, the myth, the legend, Shane Watts. How you doing, Shane? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. YHP was a 37-ish player event, and uh, Shane here came in second place, going 4-1 and one with orcs before we get really into the 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 nicks of it uh can we can you tell us a little bit about yourself i'm in the army which uh, i'm part of the u.s army esports 40k team i have been playing 40k for quite a while uh more or less since i was knee high and i'm not even close to that young anymore so like 20 plus years (laughs) yeah yeah so why did you switch up to orcs well i heard all the doom and gloom and i honestly with the the whole like ninth edge shift, my initial predictions were people would go vehicles and then hordes because of the way the missions were set up. Yeah, and because everybody's like orcs are bottom tier, it's trash, doom and gloom. I'm like, nah, I'm gonna play it and show them they're wrong. <laughs> well, show them you did. So, uh, can you go over your list a little bit here for, from Fredericksburg? Um, I see a lot of bodies and not a lot of buggies, which had kind of been the way I think a lot of orcs players thought you, you needed to play in this edition. So, my list is headed off by Gaz because I'm playing Goffs, and as soon as you have Gaz and Goff together, you have a nice combo. Um, mm-hmm. He is followed up with my Big Mech in Mega Armor, who's my Warlord. Rocking a custom force field, custom mega blasta, and power claw. I give him the warlord trait that effectively makes him a war boss, so he gets the two war boss abilities. Uh, and it generates a CP, which then I immediately spend on cleverest boss. So he goes to hitting on twos in melee, plus one attack, plus one wound. Um, and then I give him the killy claw relic, so he's like really, really a war boss. So he's a murder master. Yeah, he's like he's like everything people are doing with a war boss. It's just it's not four damage; it's only three. But he's no. got a KFF, and he wears Mega Armor, which you can't do with a Warboss, because that got Legends, so sad face. And then you kind of flesh this out with, what, 119, 120 bodies? It's uh, 115 boys, all with Slugga Choppa. Uh, three out of four knobs have double kill saw, because extra attacks are nice. Uh, the fourth one's got a big Choppa. Um, and, you know, the mandatory Pain Boy, Weird Boy that every orc list truly needs. Then rounding that out, I've got two five-man squads of commandos, which are pretty much entirely there to do secondaries because they're really great at actions and they're really great at just randomly popping up on the board. Yeah. Um, And then two squads of three mega knobs with double kill saws each and two trucks, which are the mega knobs rides. The Fredericksburg event was pretty well stacked. When I was looking at the at the list of players, I think we've said it on the show like multiple times. Like a ver- veritable murderers road GT. I mean, you had like guys like Matt Chuckman there, yep. um, Anthony Birdsong. Um, you had uh, Stephen Four, Austin Wingfield, yourself. 
um, Michael Agner. Like I can go on and on listing off all these players. So what was it like going into that kind of a field? I kind of knew what I was getting into. So uh, so Ken Knox was also there, the guy who's number one right now in the, in the COVID meta. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I figured it would be competitive and everybody's itching to play. And as soon as there was an event that was actually going to have some like real safety things going on that was large enough, I figured we'd get some sharks in the in the pool. Can you go over your games? Like, Just kind of give us a little rundown of the tournament itself. Sure. Um, so I think probably my my two most concerns like going into my rounds was my round one, which was uh, versus Ultramarines, and definitely going in against uh, Steven's list in round four. Those two, because of all the shooting and the mobility for Steven's list was, was concerning. Round one, oh goodness, I'm forgetting his name for the life of me, I'm terrible. You played uh, David Fields. So he had aggressors as ultramarines which right off the bat is a is a red flag because aggressors with frag storms that automatically get six six hits or six shots uh that are going to be double tapping me is is not not good (laughs) so he had six aggressors he had uh plasma inceptors that was also six man which is also blast um and a leviathan dreadnought with double storm cannons so I uh, I knew that this was going to be hard fought for sure, mm-hmm. but I got the early board coverage. Um, I was able to get some good punches in. Like I got rid of the aggressors. I got rid of the plasma inceptors. Um, I killed both of his invictors, which were kind of like his his keep away for one one for the leviathan, and the other was kind of pushing me out of the aggressors. Uh, but by the end of that game, he had pretty much killed everything I had except for the big mech. Yeah, that was um. It was pretty brutal in an utter bloodbath. Yeah, I see you came out on top by about eight points. So that was a game where you just kind of came up on primary early and managed to hold off to the end. Yeah, that's and that's honestly the list is kind of geared that way where you get early coverage and you just kind of try to hold steam as long as you can. Because it's really hard to prevent, uh, you know, 115 boys from getting shot repeatedly. For sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- So you come out of that game on top. You then have a, a pretty big win in your second round. Uh, yeah, in your second and third round, yep. um, ninety-five points, ninety-four points. You're rolling, and you hit Stephen Henry, the other undefeated player going into this into this round four, uh, or one of the other three, uh, the other two, um, with Jonas Beardsley with Imperial Knights being the other one, and um, you take the L. Can you go through the list? Uh, so Stephen Henry, we've talked about him already on the show with his list. It's a very shooty mech heavy custodies list something that really no one's talking about yep. um the Ares is something we've seen a little bit uh, uh from a couple other players as kind of like an anti-vehicle but that thing doesn't do a whole lot to orcs i guess you're not doing a whole lot to it either though um well there is one thing that i think people are discounting when it comes to any sort of horde list is that mm-hmm. it has two bombs and when that bomb drops it rolls up to 20 dice that uh, it does help it quite a bit in that so regard. It's, it's popping out against something like you, 10 ish mortal wounds times two because two bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like each time it does. Yep. It, so, which is pretty decent when you can just outright ignore the five up invulns. I'm hoping to take. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. So you want to go through that game for me, like so. Um, it's not like he he absolutely rolled you. Sure, um, it's very close game, eighty four seventy three. Um, could you just kind of walk through the game? What happened? Where where did you fall short? Um, I think actually the biggest mistake I made was my deployment. Um, so I had Gaz and both trucks on my forward edge because um, we were playing 
the mission, that search and destroy style deployment. Gotcha. Um, and I wanted to try and take one of his objectives early um, mm-hmm. to try and basically push him into a corner and make it so I'd have a better better set of holding primary longer. Um, but this turned out to be a mistake because that ended up being a go first tactic, not a go second tactic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he won the roll and he went first and both trucks immediately were gone. Um, and that meant my mega knobs were on the wrong side of the battlefield, basically, because they're by a forest sitting on their own, more or less. And all the objectives are the wrong direction, at least the <laughs> objectives I need to be holding, I should say. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and so... That was a bad start there. I pushed out, and what ended up happening is he brought the Ares in behind me, his turn one, uh, basically back to my corner. And he didn't do well with the bomb in the first turn, but it mathed out in the second turn. Um, But more or less, all of his shooting combined drops a boy squad. Well, not a boy squad itself. He has each boy squad, like three out of four, takes around seven to 10 casualties. Okay. Which is good from a tactic perspective because it prevents the green tide. Yeah. Because everything is still way above half. Um, and that's more or less what happens. He pops the trucks. I'm down to four mega knobs out of six and kills a bunch of boys. My turn one, uh, there was only one spot where he could move the Ares to since he moved directly into my corner. Uh, without having to either fly off or go to hover. Yeah. So I pushed some boys right to that spot um, and then started pushing out to the three objectives that were closer to me, well, one being in my deployment, one center, and one in the top corner. Um, I wasn't really able to put a lot onto that top corner objective, so I wasn't really able to be very defensive with it, versus if I had put the trucks up there, then I'd have those mega knobs up there too. For sure, for sure. Um, and Gaz would have been able to shift a lot easier because now he's kind of like, well, now I can't go that way. Now I got to go back towards the middle. Um, and more or less what ends up happening is I take those three objectives. I don't really do much else because my list is very punch and not much else in the shooting department. Gotcha. And then it goes into his turn. He decides he's going to hover the Ares, bombs that squad that's on the top objective that's slightly held. And with shooting, basically takes me off that objective, which was expected at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, because the Ares is in hover, I kind of like, you know, f- feel the the blood in the in the water because I'm like, <laughs> I can actually charge this thing now. Yeah. Um, and this is where I kind of messed up a little bit on this too, where I had my priorities on where I was going to swing attacks messed up. So right next to the Ares. He parks a Caladius, like base to base with the Ares. And then right behind that Caladius is another Caladius. So effectively, he has this Ares and Caladius that I can charge with one behind it that I can't. And then close behind that, he's got uh, Trajan, I believe. So that way he can tangle foot if I get too close to the Caladiuses. So the Ares is kind of flapping, but the Caladius are, are protected with a potential tangle foot on the charge roll. So I push in, I'm able to get it so Gaz can charge the Caladius that's closest without getting tangle-footed. The big mech, which I kind of mispositioned in my charge rolls, uh, goes in at both the Ares and the Caladius, and the boys go into the Ares. And that the order on the charges is a little off, because, 
you know, Overwatch and that jazz. Because obviously I don't want my big mech eating Overwatch from an Ares. For sure. Um, so at the end of that combat, the Caladius ends up getting blown up, which he auto-explodes because I don't kill the Ares. The Ares manages to live on two wounds. And uh, what I ended up messing up on that was I didn't end up having enough of my boys coming in around to fight because I didn't pile in far enough around. And I end up fighting twice with my Big Mac to try and take it, and it just doesn't doesn't quite work. Oh, and then actually the key thing that I told you in Messenger is I realized I was having my Big Mac swing at Strength 8 all weekend. And he's Strength 10. Yeah, and he's Strength 10. Which Oof, kind of, that, and that's big against the Ares. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, the wounded on fours versus threes is kind of big, especially since he yeah. denied the re-rolls on that. So I wasn't re-rolling for the Killy Claw at that point. Yeah, sad times. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. so you take the you, you take the loss, um, but, you know, it sounds like a really strong game, very close. You almost had it. You probably could have had it if you remembered the strength of your model. <laughs> Um, but, but then you carry on through, you have another big game to to end it out with that big 95 score. Um, so I guess the next question I have for you is like, who was your MVP in this whole tournament? You, you had all these big scores, not a lot of people putting up like these kind of numbers. Like what was carrying the day for you? Um, so I think it's kind of a 50, 50 toss up and it's funny because one of them is going to be gas, which is going to not be too much of a surprise, I would imagine. Um, because of the fact that he takes that maximum four damage in a phase, he's really good as a bully unit, and people just freak out for some reason whenever I've been using him. But then the other <laughs> the other 50% of that MVP is my commandos. Um, they're probably the best 90 points in my whole list. Because them being able to just guarantee that I'm going to get my deploy scramblers is like insanely good. Because they just pop up, and they're just like, oh yeah, I did it. 10 points. So going into, just to go into that a little deeper. So <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming you're taking de- deploy scramblers as a secondary every, every game or most, most games. games. Yeah. What are your other two secondaries? Do you have a go-tos in this list? Um, so I really like domination in most matches um, since holding three objectives is generally what I'm doing anyway. Um, gotcha. And since yeah. it's end of turn scoring, it makes it very easy to accomplish. Um, in maps that are six objectives, usually I'll swap that to uh, Race of Banners. Because mm-hmm. again, I'm re- very infantry heavy. Doing actions is very easy for me. And if there's six objectives, it's very easy for me to have three banners. Gotcha. So it's like, it's one of those two is always going to happen. Either deploy scramblers or Race of Banners. And the commandos do both of those very well. Um, Domination was the other one I mentioned. And the third one is always kind of... Um, the flex. Yeah, so if, it, if there's a good kill secondary that I know I can achieve, I'll try for that. Um, if there's a scenario where like, there's a an objective in the center and my opponent doesn't have psychers or doesn't have very good psychers, I actually really like Psychic Ritual um, because I can keep my weird boy alive after he perils with, you know, my... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, after my he pain boy. blows his head up. Yep, yeah. and as long as they don't have a psyker, they can't stop it. And I have a bunch of characters or a bunch of bodies in the way from them getting to that weird boy. That sounds really good, especially considering a lot of people are avoiding psychers right now just for that Thousand Suns and Grey Knights matchup, so they get that kind of those free secondary points. Yep. So that's a, that's a really good play. So that's really about it from the event perspective. Um, 
Shane, what are your thoughts now on ninth edition in general, since we've kind of gotten that out of the way um, and, and orcs in it, do you think orcs are in a good spot? Are you going to keep up with them? You're going to make any changes to your lists? Where are we going here? Where are we going? I think orcs play the ninth ed missions really well. So I think they definitely have a place in the meta. Um, and as far as list wise, I actually, I've been looking at a bunch of different things. Um, I like the list I'm running now and I probably will continue to do so. Um, but I'm messing around with the death skulls list just cause I like to have a little bit of shooting every once in a while. Cause right now this list yeah. just does not shoot at all. And the death skulls kind of have shooting in the bag as long as you can make it MSU. Well guys, I think that's it from Shane. Shane, do you have anything you want to plug? Anybody you want to talk about anything that I didn't talk to you about, about the event you want to bring up before we go? But yeah, you know, goonhammer.com. I write a bunch of articles. There's a bunch of stuff up there. A bunch of good people writing writing content for for people's use. Yeah, probably the most glowing review I've heard for the website in my life. <laughs> Just a bunch of guys that do stuff. No, seriously, guys. Uh, Goonhammer <laughs> is an amazing website. Um, if Shane's not really doing it justice because he's such a humble and modest individual, um, I highly recommend it. They do such good things um, for this community, uh, for the game itself. And they've got so many good bodies now. Um, if you aren't already going to that website, I, I do recommend it. It's uh, Big ups to them for everything they do. Um, anything else you wanted to cover before we cut out? Uh, and just keep uh, keep playing the game and enjoying it. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for ha- uh, thanks for coming on, Shane, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Pete, you, you keep doing interviews like that. You're going to make me feel like uh, you know I'm not even needed on this show anymore. Okay. Look, we're going to leave. We're going to let that be because I've been super- superfluous this whole time, and I'm totally going to going to um, now have a stat that had nothing to do with you, and you didn't feed it to me seconds ago, which is that of all orc um, lists that have been played so far in these GTs that we've seen, 60% of them have gone 4-1. and one. Or better. Or better. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Orcs is. It's, it's pretty extreme. Um, we talk a little bit of there in that interview with Shane, but um, orcs are currently on top of the, the meta bar in terms of uh, at least win rate, if not everything else. But We'll see how that changes as we get some more results. It's really good to see, though, because generally orcs have been kind of on the low end in most results, and it's really only been you know that handful of guys carrying the team. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I've been particularly happy to see the mech lists uh, because I'm not going to lie, um, you know, index for orcs 40, in 40K uh, were just so many models, and then mm-hmm. they were so many models again when the Codex came out. So I would love to see the lower model count orc lists continue to roll, but... Also happy to see the boys out having a good weekend. Why don't we hit a bump and see what we're talking about next? Tournament news. Hello, I'm Rob from The Honest Wargamer, and you're listening to the 40K Stat Center. Oh, Rob, always bringing that energy. Rob, I need you to know you are my dairy girl. Uh, one and only. All right, where are we going next, Pete? Well, I think we're going to head on over to a little place called Kansas. Kansas? For the, yeah, the Flying Monkey Con. Um, up until this point, the biggest major that we've actually had, the only major that we've had for 9th edition. Uh, Flying Monkey Con happened on August 15th, a full five weeks ago. Wow, sir. And uh, brought 74 players into a, I don't know, probably some kind of Best Western or something um, in the middle of Kansas. Mm-hmm. And uh, they put on quite the show. 
That's good. Well, you know, five weeks. People have been probably dying to learn about what the hell happened there. Um, yeah, they definitely have not had any coverage no. uh, until now. No, and, and apologies to the uh, the guys at the Flying Monkey GT because I'm sure they, they feel like perhaps we had some sort of vendetta against them and weren't covering them. Uh, but in fact, we're just incompetent. Yeah, I mean, 100%. We've never shown competence in anything we've been able to do. So Certainly not. So why don't we um, get over to Mr. Brian Hunter, who's... Uh, who's Certainly one of the, uh, the, the uh, what they call, tournament organizers of the Flying Monkey. And he can give us a little bit of background about the event. So a little about Flying Monkey Con. It's been ran the past three years by myself, uh, Duncan, and Matt Neely. We run it in the Wichita area. It is at the Broadview Hotel in downtown Wichita. It's been between 60 and 80 players. Uh, this year, initially, we are going to shoot for 100 players. And the, the beer virus hit. So with the beer virus hit, we had to dial it back so we could spread out tables and take some extra precautions. So we wound up, I think, with 74 registered and checked in. And uh, that's pretty much where it's been. It's uh, probably look at getting back at 100 next year, but this year's the third year doing it. So we've got a lot of our processes in place and things are a lot smoother. But uh, so all those processes that we ironed out and worked on refining, such as terrain, check-in, blah, 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 blah. We had to add a whole bunch of extra stuff uh, because, uh, because just the environment being what it is. And we're looking forward to doing it again next year and hopefully without having to do all this stuff. We did not have a lot of far-reaching travelers like we had in the past. Uh, traditionally, uh, we'd had people come from California, come from Florida, come from far-reaching places like last year. Um, Andy Gonzalez was uh, here via California. And we just uh, we just didn't have that this year. You know, it's pretty much guys from the Midwest, the Midwest region, uh, either a state or two away that uh, traditionally hit the Midwest circus. So that's what we had. The meta, as far as speaking of the meta, um, you know, we had a huge portion of the field was custodies. I think it was like 13 or 16% when I looked at the breakdowns. I have not, uh, I'm not sure that number is entirely accurate, but there was a lot of custodies everywhere. Uh, Death Guard chaos everywhere. And of course, you know, Space Marines are king. And uh, the surprising thing from the weekend was uh, Colin McDade was uh, doing pretty damn well with some Harlequins, which was uh, rather surprising and refreshing to see. Thanks, Brian, for the commentary and for your absolute prescience. Keep in mind, people, this interview happened five weeks ago. And since then, um, we've definitely all begun to see just how powerful Harlequins really are. Mm -hmm. They've had a number of uh, really high-end performances at uh, GTs. We're going to have a, a recording with a, a GT winner, or pseudo-GT, I guess you could call it, yeah. a winner who ran uh, mono Harlequins. Um, if you look at the uh, Tabletop Titans, who had their own little mini RTT amongst themselves, it was Harlequins, I believe, that ended up coming out on top in the end. Um, they're just an absolutely powerful army, and people have now for sure gotten to see just like how top tier they really are. That we're not talking about now, now. We're talking about then. And in those days, we had people tearing around. In fact, the first GT that we knew of in Ninth Edition crushed one by Salamanders. And in this case, what did we see on the top table? Well, the top table was a Salamanders versus Salamanders head-on battle. And um, you can say that, you know, when the first major of the year happens, a lot of people are watching it extremely closely. They want to see where the meta is shaking out, um, regardless of, you know, what location or anything else may have um, to do with what actually got brought. Um, 
So there was a little bit of grinding of teeth from players to see that once again, Marines are or were uh, definitely like the top tier faction um, with Dan Sammons uh, winning the event against David Villarreal in a essentially a mirror match with just a couple alterations between the two lists. Um, you also had Patrick McAnini top four with white scars and uh, the the whole crowd that was going to Flying Monkey Con was was very Imperium heavy, very Marine heavy in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it really didn't look super good from a meta analysis perspective to just see like this kind of a dominant performance yet again from Marines. Um, you know that being said, since then we've definitely had other factions start to show up pretty regularly, um, like Harlequins, Death Guard. Chaos demons, orcs. Um, so things are starting to shake out a, a little more. That is now. This was then. Let's just let's celebrate and marinate in the in the melta and the flames. I'm into it. Of of Dan Sammons's um, list here because the first thing that I'm thinking about when I'm looking at the two pages of units in it is I thought Marines got more expensive. <laughs> well. They kind of did. I mean, there's two pages of units, but almost every unit here is three models. Um, you've got sure. your two uh, Eradicator squads. You've got your two Outrider squads, your three Blade Guard squads, three Aggressor squads. You know, all these squads are, are generally you know three-man units that are putting out a ton of damage, and they're sitting on, most of them, Toughness 5 or better. Um, so they're they're able to last just that little bit longer. Uh, Dan's list, uh, there's definitely not a lot of fat on it. Um, if you look at David's list as well, his uh, compatriot, very similar in styles. Um, Dave decided to go with uh, more pure, I guess you could call it, Salamanders, no successor. So he did get to run a couple special characters like Vulcan and Adrax Agatone. Uh, oh, yeah. But the same kind of concept, you've got your Devastator Squad for grab, you've got your Blade Guard, your Aggressors, Eradicators, um, and that uh, almost unkillable Captain on a Bike. Um, he's Toughness 7, minus 1 to Wound, Thunder Hammer, and Storm Shield. If you want a way to guarantee yourself 5 points for While We Stand, We Fight, um, there's no better way to do it in this meta. There's the hot takes from the Falcon. Why don't we hear uh, some commentary now from Dan Sammons himself? Uh, the the champion of Flying Monkey Con finally getting his due, his his just desserts. I'm sure he hasn't talked in any other podcasts about this, so you've waited five weeks for this. Dan Sammons, Flying Monkey Con champ. Here he is. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, as far as my old list with the Bloody Rose and the Imperial Fist, the main reason I wanted to switch off that was to try to build a list that denied secondaries as much as possible because I think that is extremely strong uh, with the new mission set. Um, and then the FAQ uh, to change the fortifications basically made it impossible. And with how that list was designed, it required, didn't require, but it really liked the Battle Sanctum to get me a couple extra early Miracle Dice. So not having that made the uh, Outflanking Sisters and Repentia Charges a little more risky. So I, I figured I would try something that didn't rely on that as much. So the main reason I ended up picking Salamander Successors is after that GT on the car at home, we were talking about different lists and we came talking about Salamanders and we remember we had the book initially came out. We thought, man, if there's a way you could ever get the Flamers in range, they'd be really strong. Well, with strategic reserves, now they have a way to get in range. And so we started coming up with a list and that's kind of what, how we ended up on Salamander Successors. And once we started looking at all their different combos and 
you know, the different stratagems they have access to, it kind of became a no-brainer choice. Like the main strategy that I uh, used when I designed the list and then played it was uh, using Master Artisans to full effect. So I ran pretty MSU and tried to abuse the double shooting as much as possible to get maximum efficiency. Uh, as far as MVPs in the event, I would definitely say the grab devs uh, were insane. The Sally strategy to in order to make him kind of not moving, and then combine with the plus one to wound strat, combined with grab amp, uh, I was usually able to move my captain up and then drop the pod uh, down near them to like, get some rerolls, and they were picking up, you know, two vehicles a turn or just paying for their points instantly and giving me some board presence that made it pretty difficult to get through them and then ever touch the captain. So then the captain next turn was free to go through. The other MVP that I had at the event was definitely my three-man aggressor uh, squad with flamers. Uh, for one CP, you can mastercraft the sergeant's weapon, so make it two damage. Um, that single sergeant by himself, I, I kind of lost track exactly, but he killed over 1,500 points uh, throughout the tournament. Uh, against the custodian player in round one, he killed something like 600 points of custodes basically by himself uh, between, you know, coming on from reserves and then sending the CP so he could shoot twice. And you, they have the mortal wounds, do three mortal wounds. And then if you had to, to uh, pen, spend two CP to max shots. And then for turn two and turn three, that guy being plus one to wound, uh, it was pretty insane at what that single model himself could kill not including the two other aggressors with them. So they were definitely probably my favorite unit throughout the weekend. My hardest matchup of the weekend was definitely the finals against David uh, for a few different reasons. Uh, my list relied pretty heavily on AP1 shooting. Uh, him being Salamanders meant he ignored that. So my shooting was not as effective as it had been in the previous games. Uh, the other thing about that game is we both strategic reserved or deep struck, you know, close to half our armies. So it was a very you know, slow, methodical, you know, countering each other up until turn three when everything was actually on the board. As far as the turning point in the match, uh, I kind of went into the game, especially after uh, he went first, that I was going to just, you know, use the fact that I'm going second and he will have to bring his final uh, reserves on before I do. And hopefully at that point I can counter them and kill them and then get on the objectives in the, the last turn or two and get me enough points. And I stuck through it, and the game was very, I think we were a 10-point game or so. So it was a very close and ended up paying out, and I had just enough killing power to, to finish him off and stay on the objectives to actually score 15 primary in the last turn, which helped make the difference. Thank you, Dan, for all of your brilliant insights on your experiences at the old Flying Monkey Con GT. And for anyone out there who's thinking to themselves, man, I'd love to see some salamanders on salamanders action. I know that's going to turn Salty John's crank real hard. You can tune into the Lord Marshall TV on Twitch, uh, where they do very excellently produced battle uh, reports live from GTs and events. And, of course, Lord Marshall TV used to be Iron Halo TV, so you bet your balls they're going to be covering all of the action at the Iron Halo coming this weekend from Oklahoma. Pete, any final thoughts on uh, monkeys flying? Not a lot. I mean, I think it was a, a pretty stellar event for the first major of the edition. Um, I think they did what they could to handle COVID well. And um, 
Yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. Iron Halo, I'm hoping Iron Halo isn't kind of a direct sequel and that we get to see a little livelier performance from some of the other factions. But, you know, Dan's going back and he's 26 and 0 currently in the ITC this year. Um, so he's definitely looking to keep that win streak alive. Okay, well, don't be cocky, Dan, and we'll hit a bump. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. News. Hello, I'm John Damaris. And I'm Nick Nanavati, and we're from The Art of War. And you're listening to 40K Stat Center, the second best competitive podcast in all the world. Ah, uh, second best, eh, Damaris? Well, I guess we're both the second best hosts on our own shows. Isn't that right, Pete? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to fight it anymore. Yeah. You're right. Anyway, enough self-deprecation. We are uh, hustling over to actually what I think is kind of a fascinating little thing that is uh, happened because of the whole COVID-19 thing, and that is the advent of virtual tabletop of uh, 40K in cyberspace on TTS. Yeah, this has been a, a pretty interesting whole development we've had, um, you know, due to coronavirus, people unable to really get face-to-face nail down some games. We started seeing a, a big rise in uh, Tabletop Simulator, a, a, so, a like a software program that allows you to play multiple different board games online. Um, and it really spiked for a while there. Um, and a big kind of progenitor of, of its popularity in competitive 40K um, is one Tactical Tortoise. Ah, the Tactical Tortoise. The, the, the Tortoise is, of course, the most tactical animal available. Um, yes, uh, Trevor uh, from the Tactical Tortoise YouTube uh, channel uh, did provide us some, some, uh, some clips here about the uh, TTS event that he ran. I guess when was this? August sometime? Yeah, so this was over a month ago now, but like the big thing here with uh, with Trevor and Tactical Tortoise is they've kind of created their own um, you know virtual ITC league at this point. Um, there's hundreds of games being played um, between players on TTS now, uh, rather than in person, just to get around the, the the coronavirus. And it's just very interesting to see how their meta has developed alongside the quote unquote live action meta that we're now starting to see. During the depths of uh, of COVID, I mean, this this is the only place where, you know, the late 8th edition uh, meta even existed. This is the only place where Farsight ever dominated. You know, this is this is where we sort of got a peek at what might have been. Have you noticed since 9th edition has started, is there is there a big difference between it? Because you're not eliminated. Uh, you're not limited by the models you're allowed to take. 
I think really the big thing we've seen is uh, the TTS scene was able to adapt a little quicker um, to what was actually performing in a competitive sense. Um, because there's always this thing of hobby lag in the meta, once you realize something's good, you have to paint it, you have to put it together, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So with TTS, what we what we saw, I think, was a, a quicker reaction to what's actually good in ninth edition. A lot of the lists that we we saw performing in early ninth um, in TTS, um, you know, they were getting copied pretty frequently because it was very easy to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so you saw, you know, these chaos demon spam lists with lots of beasts of Nurgle and Nurglings really dominating. Salamanders performing extremely well. Um, Harlequins, Space Wolves even, which is not something we've necessarily seen um, on our top tables, but was a thing that that they saw on TTS. Um, but these are all uh, lists that it took a little bit longer on the, the live action side to see fully perform because it takes a while to paint and base 52 Nurgling bases. Yes, hopefully a very long time. Whereas it's just a couple of Control Cs and Control Vs in TTS. So... <laughs> Um, it's a little bit simpler. Uh, that being said, the whole reason we're talking about this is because what Trevor did is he ended up uh, creating a, um, invitational event, uh, inviting the, essentially the top, was it 12 players, um, that had been playing in TTS leagues over the previous months. Um, and it was quite a little bit of a show. All right. Well, why don't we let, uh, Trev take it away from here? He's actually going to give a little background on what was organized, and uh, how it all went down. Brace yourselves, he definitely brings the enthusiasm. What's up, Stout Center people? My name is Trevi. Tactical Tortoise is my YouTube channel and creates content for miniature war games with a focus on competitive play and especially competitive Warhammer 40k. A couple months ago, we all got stuck in quarantine and obviously couldn't go down to the local game store to keep playing games. So at that point, I picked up Tabletop Simulator and started making content for that just like I had games at my LGS. A little while later, I decided to run a couple community events to help out the community and keep the competitive game alive while we were going through this season of quarantine. And that quickly exploded into the T5S2 tournament series that I run under the Tactical Taurus umbrella as well. This past weekend, we held the elimination stage in the finals for the T5S2 Season 1 Invitational. I created T5S2 as another way to keep the competitive meta of 40k evolving as we were moving through the tail end of 8th edition and moving into 9th edition. Not to mention that there weren't many places where players could consistently get the RTT experience like they could in real life on Tabletop Simulator. So on the Tactical Tours Discord, I started running free tournaments and launching two or three of them every week, and that became the ground level of the T5S2 series. The series has grown to encompass all sorts of other events run by other communities around the Tabletop Simulator community and now acts as a global standings for any online 40k events. So very much like ITC, it will take scores from any tournaments that submit scores to it and rank players based on their top tournament results. We decided in August to cap this off with the first seasonal invitational tournament and pit the top 16 players in the standings against each other. All told, we had almost 400 players in the series' first season altogether who played somewhere around 1,500 total games of Warhammer 40k to determine those top 16. 
We had some incredible players take part in the Top 16 Invitational, including Nick Rose, who is an ITC veteran and has been top 10 of the ITC many years in a row, as well as several WTC-level players, including Liam Vissel from Team Belgium and Denith Lianagama from the Normal Blokes team, who plays for Team Australia. The competition was fierce in the Top 16, and the games in the Invitational were some of the most awesome games that I have streamed of 40k to date. Going into the top eight of the event, there were a couple lists that were group sourced and looked very similar, including a Chaos list from Team Hottest Takes, bringing 45 Nurgling bases, as well as a Salamanders list that Nick Rose had devised, focusing on Landspeeder Tempests and the Salamanders Heavy Infantry, like Aggressors and Eradicators, to deal a boatload of damage. We expected one of those lists to make it to those, that finals, but... The final game of the Invitational and the final game of the Elimination Stage came down to Jaime Paris's Space Wolves versus Liam Vissel's Harlequins. The final game was a bit of a nail-biter with the Harlequins playing a superlative defensive hit-and-run game early on, and the Space Wolves just hammering up the table to take as much mid-board presence as possible. What really pushed it out for Jaime Space Wolves is the combination of the Armor of Rust Relic on one of his characters, as well as some of the new units coming out of Indominus, especially the Judiciar and Bladeguard veterans. The Judiciar in particular was able to forestall any of the Harlequins' aggression, since if they charged in any of their units into the brick that the Judiciar was protecting, its Temporal Mortis would force them to fight last and they would get crushed by the Space Wolves before even being able to swing and get out of dodge with Curtain Falls. This unfortunately let the Space Wolves take the center of the table with relative impunity and flawless defensive positioning by Jaime didn't really give Liam's Harlequins any chance to find a chink in their armor. The Harlequins did have several chances to come back in the game with a couple turns of good dice rolling. Several combats, including some aggressive charges from the Space Wolves in the mid game, could certainly have gone the Harlequins way, but unfortunately the dice decided it was not to be. That let the Space Wolves dominate the center of the table in the Vital Intelligence mission, which is a difficult deficit to come back from, especially for a faction as squishy as Harlequins. It was an awesome game to watch, and over the course of the Invitational, we had a ton of awesome games that I would highly recommend you checking out. You can visit my channel at youtube.com slash tacticaltortoise, where we streamed a whole boatload of 40k 9th edition, including almost all of the games from the Invitational, as well as most of the finals of any T5S2 pods that we ran. There's hundreds of hours of content up there, so I highly recommend you checking it out. And if you want to become involved in the series as a whole, check us out at tts40k.com, where you can get links to our Discord server and more information about the events that we run, as well as live standings for the series and more information about the T5S2 Invitational. I want to thank the folks at 40K Stats Center for having me on, and I want to remind everybody to keep it classy, folks, and have happy wargaming. Trevi out. Pebblefinger in. All right. Well, thanks, Trev, uh, for that. And it's going to be super interesting to see uh, TTS continue along because uh, the majority of us still can't really get to GTs or majors and uh, going to be real excited to see how things continue to de develop in that uh, fake uh, three-dimensional world. Okay, let's hit a bump. Tournament news. Hey, this is Brian Pullen from Tabletop Titans and this year's SoCal Open Champion. You're listening to 40K Stats you know, I was going to say that's dated, but I suppose Pollen is, in fact, still this year's SoCal Open champion. Yeah, I'm not sure if it just carries on as long as we stop having them, but uh, you know what? I'm not going to fuss about it. No one's taken the belt or the, you know, bedazzled, bejeweled sweater vest, whatever it is that he was awarded.
You know, I have to say, um, I'm just going to put this out there. I'm really disappointed in Tabletop Titans, and I know that they've been getting a lot of flack from this, essentially every episode that they've put on. Uh-huh. Um, but Brian has not put on one sweater vest since they've, uh, basically since they've started, and it's infuriating. Like, that's his whole shtick. I'm wondering if maybe he was at a gas station and he accidentally saw a GQ or something, because that guy, I don't know. I mean, the beanie that he's added, the toque, as it were, the to toque. his collection is... The knitted cap. The knitted cap. Definitely pretty pretty peak uh, fashion, I would have to mm-hmm. say. But the loss of the sweater vest, it's kind of a loss of identity. I understand that their entire state's on fire, but come on, do it for the fans. That's right. Okay, getting a little hot in here, too. Why don't we uh, do some quick hits? Why don't we twist up a couple uh, event results? Because we actually don't have any firsthand data on these ones. So, Pete, I do know you did cover uh, two events on your website. Uh, Why don't we start with the Vaberg GT? Yeah, so Varberg GT, uh, a Swedish event, uh, the first one of 8th edition, just barely missed that kind of GT cutoff at, uh, of 28 players with 26. But that being said, it was a, a an extensive field. Um, the majority, I would say, of uh, Sweden's uh, WTC team were there, including mm-hmm. Daniel Hesselberg, who's a host on uh, Gentleman Gaming. Um, anyway, I mean, he was there with his Grey Knights. Um, we had Par Helander running uh, Chaos Demons, coming in second place. Um, and the winner, uh, someone we've spoken to before on this uh, show, uh, Christoph Fiedler, running Salamanders with a little bit of white scars. So he's kind of taking huh. the best of both worlds from the, that Space Marine Codex and, and running what are arguably, the, uh, at least in the opinion of the community, the top two uh, supplements. That's right. I myself am quite excited to try out some white scars. Always interested when, uh, when a Space Marine player gives up uh, the benefits of being monofaction. Yeah, I mean, in this case, he still keeps he still keeps his doctrines. He just loses that you know plus one to wound from uh, the flamers, which he just didn't run any, um, and he uh, loses out on the benefit of that two damage or that extra damage um, on the charge round three forward with his white scars. Um, but that being said, he does not lose out on the absolute speed he's getting out of his impulsors that he had filled with blade guard and uh, judiciars. His Corsero Khan is still giving everybody those those mega bumps. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a definite interesting list. Um, he's he's combining that uh, you know mid range shooting power that the salamanders provide, along with that unkillable bike captain, uh, and uh, he's got that mid board presence with these absolutely deadly blade guard and impulsors. It's a really cool list. I love how it looks. It seems like it would be super fun to play. Um, I personally probably would go all in on White Scars if I was doing them because they have so many tricks, but um, you can't argue with success. Absolutely not. And I just got a shout out here because we've kind of glossed over it, but the Space Marines with Grav Cannons in a drop pod seem to be a universal unit. The Grav Amp stratagem is absolutely bonkers and way under-costed. Um, at one CP for what it does. Mm-hmm. So uh, devs in a drop pod, if you're not running White Scars, are definitely the way to go. Um, there are a number of tricks that you can run with White Scars, um, putting them in a Rhino instead, which absolutely makes them uh, more deadly as long as they can survive that first round of shooting. If you ever want to hear Unbridled Joy, listen to uh, John Lennon breathlessly describe how far he can make his White Scars Devastator Rhino go. Hey, if you, and if you really want to hear that, I believe on 40K Today, if it wasn't today, um, 
the time we post this recording, it would have been earlier this week. Um, John does indeed go uh, full on for probably two or three minutes just discu- uh, discussing just how disgusting that combination is. So anyone else you want to call out here uh, from, from Varberg? I would say uh, Par Helander's uh, second place list is um, something that people need to pay attention to. Um, we recently had the Brisbane GT, which we're going to be covering next week, um, have a similar uh, list win the event. Um, this list has a Lord of Change, which is absolutely terrifying now because of all the buffs you can put on it to, once again, kind of like that bike captain, make it nigh unkillable. Mm. Um, he's got some Nurglings, which are always going to be annoying. Three units of Plague Bearers, probably a little too many, but the big thing in this list and the one thing that kind of makes it, I would say, work are these 20 beasts of, or 18 beasts of Nurgle. Mm. Um, beasts of Nurgle have kind of come out as this all-star unit for demons. Um, they're super tough to kill. They put out a ton of attacks against uh, kind of horde units, um, but they just take up space so well and are so annoying. Um, and we're starting to see a lot of lists um, that are going pretty heavy into Nurgle, running 20 or even 30 of them at, at this point, um, just to get, as much as they can out of them. Okay, uh, quick question here. I've gone ahead and Googled uh, Beast of Nurgle. Uh, you said 30 in a, in a list? These things are $55 Canadian a pop. How is that possible? Well, Val, there's this little thing called conversions where people will take models that mm. maybe aren't the same as the GW model, gotcha. or maybe they are a GW model, but they you know add some tentacles, mm. a little bit of weird slime stuff, Call it a beast of Nurgle and call it a day. And they save a little bit of money that way. Listen, Captain Condescending, all right, I get what you're saying, and I suppose as long as you just took a lump of plasticine and put a mouth stomach on it, uh, you'd probably have a beast of Nurgle. I mean, it's a lot better than a, a bunch of marshmallows melted uh, onto a base, which we've seen in the past. Yes, uh, or, for example, uh, turtle riding uh, uh, Rough Riders. Um, but um, I can only imagine that the conversions are top-rate, uh, for these things. They are absolutely massive and probably take up a stink load of space. So, 60 millimeters. What an insane thing I've just found out about. <laughs> Listeners, um, my mind has been blown. Pete, please segue us to whatever else we're going to talk about. Sure. The only other event we really need to cover um, that we've missed is the Invasion GT. This was a, a Norwegian event uh, that took place just a couple weeks back. Um, it was won by our... I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, R. Velo or Velo. Um, who is running Velo. Once again, a mono Chaos Demon list. Would you look at this? And um, this is a big deal. I mean, Chaos Demons weren't really on a lot of people's radars. We all knew that um, Exalted Demons were very good. On the contrary, Pete, I was, pr- I was promised that they would suck and that they were useless. And now well, we've talked about two very good Demons lists. Well, I will say that the one thing that I have said since the beginning um, was that uh, greater demons were going to be great, and their troops were going to be great. Didn't feel like there was a lot other else. Uh, flamers uh, seemed decent on paper. Didn't feel like there was a lot else that was going to be good out of this codex. And I, I would say that um, outside of you know beasts of Nurgle showing up, there, I don't think these people were wrong. It's just that the lists that include only troops and greater demons. So you just blew my mind with Beasts of Nurgle. Uh, let's assume everyone else out there isn't necessarily hip to what's up with uh, Exalted Keepers of Secrets, of which there are two Exalted Keeper of Secrets in this particular list. What's the deal with those guys? So uh, Keeper of Secrets is the cheapest of the um, uh, greater demons, for one. Mm-hmm. They put out a lot of attacks. I believe 
I don't remember what they went up to with, with chapter proof, but they had been only 160 points in 8th edition. Um, they have a lot of attacks. They hit really hard. They always strike first. And with the exalted trait, you can give them um, some really interesting boons, particularly if you're willing to roll for it. Because if you roll, you can you can double up. Otherwise, Ooh. if you pick, um, you have to... Uh, you you have to have different ones. So this benefits people who crave the action. Exactly. And a keeper of secrets, uh, the big uh, the big one that uh, a lot of people will select rather than roll for is minus one to wound, um, because their kind of their biggest thing is that if they're out in the open, they're going to die. Right. Um, they're like a toughness six model. They they have uh, they don't have a ton of wounds. Uh, they're kind of relying on getting into combat because of how fast they are. Um, so getting a minus one to wound uh, slapped on that is just going to make them that much more reliable to get into combat. You top that off with a list that also includes uh, Seleski, who is like a named um, demon prince, who puts out, I don't, can't remember now, like 30 attacks if he's uh, pumped into a horde. You've got the contorted epitome, which was never bad and ha is uh, still just a raging concern for most players uh, to go up against. Mm -hmm. And uh, this list really can carry its own. One thing I've heard about uh, the event was that it was very terrain heavy, okay. um, which really does favor any kind of close combat list. Um, it's not to say that there was, uh, you know, quote unquote, too much terrain. Um, players uh, there seem to indicate it was just perfect in how they're used to playing. But it does give the benefit to a list like this that, you know, will struggle if you were playing on Planet Bowling Ball. Um, the other really cool piece of tech in this list, of course, is the Fiends of Slanesh. The fact that this is Mono Slanesh is absolutely mind-blowing to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, Fiends of Slanesh, they're a, a super cool little tech piece because, once again, Slanesh, super fast. But they have the ability to lock units into combat, so they, they're not allowed to fall back. Mm -hmm. um, and that, in this edition, where uh, falling back is not as powerful, still has a lot of benefits because you're not having to wrap units. It, it, it's giving you that extra layer of protection. Um, and people having to spend two CP to get out of combat now, in some cases, right. um, is well worth the uh, the waste. So, all right, well, there you go, a mono slanesh uh, army winning uh, a, a good sized GT out in Norway. That's pretty neat stuff, guys. Yeah, fifty six players, and I mean, second place also went undefeated uh, with a Harlequin's army. So we can't count them out as well. We just talked earlier about how strong Harlequins were um, at that TS, uh, T5S2 event. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian Hunter being a little prescient. Uh, Rasmus uh, Valand Fredriksen, Fredriksen running Frozen Stars. Um, it's got all the good stuff you expect out of Harlequins. Troops are now pretty solid. Don't know if everything running fusion pistols is the way to go, but he made it work. Triple Death Jester, Skyweavers, always deadly. Um, and uh, I think the, really the big cool piece of tech that uh, he brought to the table was the Incarn. A lot of people uh, don't think that that 300 points or 290 points is worth it, um, but he made it work. Um, I think the Incarn is super cool because Sean Naden. I mean, you can't go wrong there, I guess, but um, I got nothing more to say. <laughs> All right. Well, while we round out this, this quick hit uh, a thon by uh, swinging up to the old Emerald Isle. Ireland, if you will, uh, to a place outside of Belfast. Indomitus Rising was an event held at Exploding Dice Gaming Club just outside of Belfast in Northern Ireland. Uh, the event was a new format for us, the idea really coming about out of necessity because of the current COVID situation. Uh, the venue 
it just recently reopened and in order to have a safe gaming environment with social distancing the normal capacity of 30 players dropped down to 14 um, and with it being the first event after a long lockdown and also the first of a new edition of the game we knew that demand was going to be very high and instead of disappointing a lot of people I came up with a concept of running a series of one day three round events that would operate as qualifying heats leading to a final. Um, so in the end we ran two heats of 14 players with each player only being allowed to attend one of the heats. The top seven from each heat then went on to qualify for a final day and they carried their scores and pairing history through to the next three games which essentially made the final a uh, de facto second day of a 28-person six-round tournament, only with the bottom half of the field dropping on the second day. So with it being the first event of a new edition, uh, the tournament was run pretty much straight out of the book, with the book being the chapter-approved GT Mission Pack. The meta going in was, as expected, strongly skewed towards Imperial factions, we had the usual heavy Space Marine presence, but also a good number of people shifting to Custodes. Uh, Chaos Marines of various flavours still stayed quite popular. Um, I think some people were trying to make their 8th edition Super Armies carry forward in the 9th. Um, Xenos factions, though, were really poorly represented. Uh, we had one lone Harlequin player who was the only Eldari army there. Um, and that's probably the biggest meta change since we last ran events. Uh, Craft Worlds and Drakari were both very popular and successful in our local meta, uh, but they've obviously been shelved as people have been pulling Space Marine armies out of their storage sheds. Thanks, Pete Pratt. I loved you in the Avengers movies. Um, Pete, so uh, what do you know about this uh, before we go over to the uh, winner of the event? So... As Pete was talking about, Indominus Rising was this really cool idea for an event where rather than running a GT in one day, especially in a place where, you know, there's been some COVID restrictions keeping you from getting everybody into the same room at the same time, why not split it up? So this event was run in heats. Um, there was a, a first heat that was done in early August. 14 players went in um, and then they did a second heat about two weeks later. And then they finished it off in mid-September um, or early September with a, a grand finale where they took the top 12 players out of the 28 in total that participated and had them come back for a, kind of a grand final. Um, it's really cool to see on paper. It um, kind of gets around a lot of the maybe issues that you may have if you're looking to try and do something similar. If you want to run a GT-sized event but can't because of restrictions and you still want to you know, have that kind of fun. Um, it plays well. It seems super cool. And I just love these guys. Um, the the Northern Ireland podcast, if you haven't listened to it, they cover this event in full in episode three. Cathal uh, Melvena um, is one of the hosts, and he did an excellent job going over the lists and how it played out. Um, but yeah, like this was such a cool idea, and I hope we kind of see a little bit more of it. All right. Well, uh, getting back to Brian Hunter's prescience, because we keep giving him a lot of credit for uh, thinking Harlequins are cool. Uh, why don't we uh, get to the, the eventual winner of this event, who uh, slogged through three weeks of battling, to win the event with Harlequins. Over to Mike McConkey. 
So in terms of my list, obviously Harlequins aren't blessed with a huge variety of units compared to a lot of other codexes in the game. Really only six or seven data sheets to actually choose from. Um, so your choices with Harlequins really come down to the weapon loadouts that you give, uh, the various units that you have, uh, and then your mix of masks uh, and relics. And then really your choice around certain units might come into certain stratagems you want in your toolbox. So I knew I wanted to take some larger troops on foot just so I can make use of things like uh, Twilight Encore, which is fantastic for just getting into the midst of an army and tagging multiple units. Um, didn't actually have to do it over the weekend, but it was uh, just one of those items I had in my toolbox if I came up against a tightly clustered gun line, um, just being able to sort of touch multiple units I thought would be really useful. In terms of relics, I've probably gone for the more common ones. Uh, I've got the Twilight Fang on the Troopmaster. It's a, a, still an unbelievably strong relic. Um, even if you're hitting the enemy turn two, turn three, those extra attacks and the, the flat two damage, along with uh, I kept uh, the two, the rerolls to wound for him alongside the two mortal wounds every time he fights. So uh, he can blender through things very quickly, especially Primaris Marines, which obviously everyone techs for at the moment. Um, so he was a good choice for that. And I chose the Rose for the Solitaire, because if I'm honest, I don't feel the Solitaire can function without that particular relic. He doesn't have the damage output. He needs the reroll to wounds. And the flat three damage is fantastic for a bit of character assassination runs. Uh, and outside of that, really, the only other choices I made was to take the second patrol of uh, Harlequins. You can certainly I could have taken everything as soaring spite, and it probably would have worked very well. But I wanted to have the damage potential of those frozen stars, especially with the stratagem for plus one to wound um, on some of those big trip squads. If you're throwing, you know, throwing forty to forty five attacks out with plus one to wound, uh, it, again, it's just an item in the toolbox that you have. I only end up using the stratagem once to lift a full squad of Terminators uh, with a caress squad and really that was it but again it's having that potential and the extra attacks are always handy for the Solitaire and for the Twilight Fang Master as well who were running around in that list. Uh, it does leave me slightly open because the defensive buffs from the Shadow Seer don't cover those squads but to be honest I was able to put them out to the sides of my deployment zone anyway so they wouldn't have got the benefit regardless. MVP for the weekend's quite tough actually um the shadows here definitely deserves a mention for uh, the defensive buffs that he or she uh, gives to the army it just helps so much against alpha striking it means opponents are having to come closer than they would like to to try and get shots off and the minus one to wound uh, even for the couple of cp it takes to extend it to vehicles and to the sky weavers it's massive it can really nullify an alpha strike so um, definitely that model is fantastic uh, the twilight fang master I already have said is a bit of a blender goes in minces something elite and then more than likely dies um, although i did manage to get off one time the stratagem to to actually move them away after combat and was able to hide them for a second hit, which was great. But those two are fantastic. And then the Skyweavers. Um, Skyweavers, for a couple of games, literally just bombed forward and tagged multiple units in the first turn. And yeah, that ability to move one unit in advance, give them the three plus invul, and then in the psychic phase, advancing with Twilight Pathways, a second squad. So I had two squads in the enemy's face. 
three plus involves multi charging units uh, and just really cock blocking the opponent's army. It meant that there were some games where opponents weren't getting primary objective points until maybe three turn three, turn four. Um, I know against the Custodes list, it was literally turn five before he got any primary objective points because I just pinned his army back and away from the objectives. Uh, gave me free reign to rack up my sort of 30 to 40 points within the first couple of turns. And then all I had to do was, was stay the five points at some other point. Um, definitely helped with keeping my units moving on the board. Wasn't having to sit static on any point on the board because I was able to, to get my primary points up and running. Uh, I think probably the... the Game of note will likely have been uh, my fourth game, which was up against Tom and his Custodes. Um, I was worried, I, I, to be honest, I feel Custodes can be a difficult match for Harlequins um, because they have the same sort of speed with the jet bikes and with their, their bike captains, uh, but they're much tougher and they can hit a lot harder. So uh, the actual list that Tom was running went heavy on Terminators, uh, which probably suited me better, to be honest. Plus he had a, a Telemann Dreadnought, uh, which had to hide in Deep Strike to avoid being, getting nuked to turn one, which was fantastic for me, because um, it meant the, you know, the Dreadnought off the board and the Terminators off the board, turn one, let me really focus in on his bikes. So I had a bit of a decision to make. It was I could play it KG and Canny and try and screen out the Terminators Deep Striking, or I could go Hell for Leller into him. Uh, and try and block the bikes and the captain in his deployment zone. The mission we were playing, the primary objective is you had to hold two for five points, three for ten points, and more for your opponent for the, for the last five points to make the 15. So I knew if I could pin him back on the one objective in his deployment zone and he wasn't able to get out, then I would have free reign at the primaries, um, and that would hold him back and stop him from scoring the primaries at the same time. So uh, when I won first, well, won the chance to go first, uh, I, I, I just decided to go for it. So both Skyweaver squads uh, straight into his face with three plus invul saves, backed up by a couple of Star Weavers with the Troop Masters sitting inside, ready for the second wave to try and pin him back. So yeah, it was a bit of a ballsy move. I think it could have gone badly wrong. I had played Custodes the weekend before as a bit of a practice match and he had two units of jet bikes. Uh, unfortunately, the swooping dive then uh, totally destroyed my bikes when I did it that weekend. But Tom and Lodi, the one squad plus a, a captain on bike and I did a bit of math hammer and I reckon the, the captain would kill one or two bikes at most with the swooping dive. And he's taken three CP out of the way to do that. So I'd say that was a trade that I would take to the face. Now, as it was, he didn't swooping dive with them. He let the bikes take the hit. Um, I knew I couldn't kill him quick enough, but it penned his whole army in behind the line of bikes that he had up front. Uh, and it meant that ultimately he didn't score any primary points, I think, until turn five. Um, the Terminators came down, but I had screened the objectives out with my troops and my characters so they couldn't get close enough uh, to actually get onto the objectives. They failed their charge on the drop, even with the Dread Host, uh, even with the additional dice from the Dread Host uh, that they were using. So I got lucky with that, don't get me wrong, but it kept him off the objectives for so long that I was able to, to rack up the points. Um, and by the end, he only had, I think, maybe four of the Terminators alive. They'd all split up into their individual units, um, which actually made it slightly harder for me to take them out because they spread out a bit. But uh, yeah, it was a good solid win for me. Um, but yeah, it was probably the, the, the game I was most concerned about going into. Um, any of the rest of them, um, probably the other one would have been up against Sisters, only because I really didn't know what Sisters could do. 
Um, and I have to say, Repentia are scary, absolutely blended. A Skyweaver squad, even with the three plus invul. Um, and the Exorcists can pick up Star Weavers, no matter how many defensive buffs you throw on them. And they're able to fall back and shoot as well, which I didn't realise at the time, which uh, cost me a couple of Star Weavers when I tried to tag them. But yeah, overall, across the weekend, I scored strongly. Um, I think uh, on the first day of the three games, I only dropped six points out of everything that was available, which was massive. It gave me a, a huge lead going into the second day, especially because we were uh, doing the rankings by battle points, not necessarily by wins. Um, now, as it was, I managed to win all six of my games, which was which I was really impressed by because I wasn't actually expecting that much out of the Harlequins, to be honest. Um, I knew they would be fast and I knew they could do secondaries well. The bit I didn't really couldn't get a feel for was whether they could score primary points well um, especially up against maybe infantry heavy space marines something like that which I did end up facing but their ability just to pen the opponent back first turn with so many wounds of three plus invuls uh, and then fall back shoot charge maneuver do what they want to on the board is absolutely massive so yeah, ultimately that probably led me to being more aggressive with my playstyle than I nearly had, had expected to be going into the weekend. Uh, but as I say, it did pay off. Um, and I went, don't get me wrong, I, I got fairly fortunate. I went first four out of my six games. And the two games that I went second, I was able to bubble up around the shadows here and, and hide behind buildings enough that the Alpha Strike didn't do anything. And ultimately that pulled the opponent forward towards me where I really wanted them to be, where I could counter punch. Peter, we did it. We caught up. We are now in the now now. It's so weird to be outside of the before time. That's right. Well, we're uh, definitely not in the before time. That's going to be a while. Things always get a bit sad. I know. That's the only thing I could keep thinking of. <laughs> but hey, we've got a chock full episode next week if we can manage to record something. I believe there's four GTs on the way this weekend, plus the Brisbane GT, which we didn't cover because I'm hoping to get some really good coverage from uh, the winner of the event um, in the next 24 hours. Well, that's uh, really good, and you can whore that and review out to your new best friends over at 40K Today, Mr. New Correspondent. Oh, well, you know, thanks, Val, but they're not my best friends. You're still my best friend. Well, that's good, because that means that your best friend is thousands of kilometers away from you at all times. I mean, I've got nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to say? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.